Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, welcome to Series 2 of The Rise or Not of the Independence. Um, we have seen, obviously, a lot of discussion and debate in the market over the last couple of years about the frustrations that are going on with the big holding companies. And so we've got a bunch of uh, indies coming on to talk about how their future and how prosperous is looking or perhaps not. This week, we have with us Henry Innes, who's the co-founder at Mutiny, which is a predictive growth consultancy. He was one t- one-time media agency guy. Jules Hall, CEO of The Hallway, a full-service agency. He's just got into media. He's, we've had an interesting conversation already. Morris Bryant, who is the partner and co-founder at Sparrow, which is a digital marketing firm, another independent. And Dan Beaumont, who's managing partner at The Royals, a creative shop. Let's start with you, Jules. You, I think we've done the numbers. You're the oldest uh, in the room at 2007 is when The Hallway started. Tell us about where your business is at, Jules, in terms of as an independent. So 12 years in business now, Paul, looking back over that time, there's been a lot of evolution in the market. So I started the business in 2007. I was on my own, one person, Pernod Ricard's foundation client. Fast forward to where we are today, the world has changed completely. And if I look at what are the things that have driven that change, I think there's three things. Media fragmentation is the starting point. Second thing is the rise of data and technology and the increasing data footprint we get from media channels. And the third thing, which is somewhat bizarre, but has been a big, big evolution, is the focus on customer centricity, which you kind of think is table stakes. But that, that, that focus as, a, as an industry and thinking about holistic customer experiences and customer journeys across all touch points has evolved considerably. And you're trying to play in all those areas? I think you have to. So I think you look at what's happening in the agency space, there's probably two tiers to the market. I think there's specialist businesses that focus on niche niche areas and go deep on that. They play one role. There are agencies that are strategic partners and advisors to clients. I actually think the word agency is probably becoming a bit redundant for some of those businesses. They're more advisors working with clients to map and model how they're going to grow their businesses. Looking at which customers are going to drive value, how to best connect with those customers. The creative is critical to that getting a good idea, but it's how you manifest that idea across all the touch points. So the customer's got a holistic experience and then it's optimizing that. From the oldest independent agency to the youngest, which is Henry Innes. Henry, you have had a background in, in media agencies. You're sort of in, in, in a data shop now. Why is there an opportunity of what you're doing? What a, what a predictive growth consultancy does. Well, I think um, firstly, we realized that we didn't really want to stay in uh, stay in marketing. What we do is much, much broader than that. And it's uh, focusing on kind of bottom line revenue growth. I think what we saw was two things coming online. One was the rise of cloud technology, which allows you to crunch statistics in the cloud at much greater and more effective scale than you previously did. Previously, you needed 70 MBAs to do that kind of work. Um, now you need a couple of data engineers and some computing power. So that kind of changed the dynamics of, of how you might analyse business problems um, quantitatively and at scale. And 
and we saw that opportunity kind of emerging and, and and thought to ourselves, well, what if we built a consultancy that helped businesses take calculated risks and actually figure out exactly what the upside or the downside would be across across where they're investing their money um, in, in, in the growth area. And I think, you know, we, we've we've been pretty fortunate to have a lot of pickup on that. We work across anything from, you know, what pricing strategy is to what where distribution in a retail channel will be most effective and efficient all the way through to, you know, advanced cash flow forecasting in the financial space. Um, so it's, it's using data to really start to power and predict a lot of those decisions. Your competitive set, Henry, is who, who, who's sitting in that in that area? The big four, Bain, McKinsey, would be the ones I, I, I would look at. We've come up against the big four on multiple pitches before, um, and we've come up against McKinsey on a number of pitches. So you are competing with the big end of town on what you're doing then. There, there is some receptivity to, to your service offer, even though you're small um, and, and, and young. Yes, yes. I, 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 and I think our approach of taking calculated risks in, uh, in that space, because, you know, this is an era where I think there is more appetite for risk taking from big corporates, partly because startups have been glamorized. And so what, what you're starting to see is that there is a bit more appetite for risk taking. And I think if you're coming from a, a big four auditing background and things like that, um, you're risk averse. By, by your by the nature of your culture so you, you don't think on how can we use numbers to take a calculated risk you think how can we use numbers to mitigate risk and um, and so we come at we come at using the numbers in a completely different way culturally we like to say that we're a management consultancy with a creative agency's attitude for risk taking Morris Bryant you, you know Henry's talked about the appetite for the big end of town to deal with some of these these uh, some of the smaller younger companies Sparrow's been around since 2013 I think it's got about well, you, you're, you started off in search you've sitting at about a hundred million dollars now as a, as a digital marketing media agency where do you feel the appetite is for independence from that from the big end of town for what you're doing yeah look we see a lot of appetite out there particularly uh, in the specialization space so search, display, video. Uh, I think that those channels are so transparent. Um, they should drive value. They should be easy to to understand and to, to visualize. And I think that's what clients aren't getting from the big media agencies. And so that's where we see the opportunity. And it's really what we've built our business on. When you say they're not getting it, what are you delivering that, that is not happening at the top end, at the bigger end? Expertise. Transparency and, and getting shit done, to be really frank. Yes, right. <laughs> what does getting shit done mean? Uh, look, we're always driving our channels forward, um, just putting the best product out there and, and testing new things and, and really going, we like to say, uh, beyond the click, uh, looking what happens before the click, who are we speaking to, what is the audience segmentation, what happens after. We've made a sale, but how can we get more out of that customer? How can we sell to them again? So you've got clients like Webjet, uh, Estee Lauder. So there, there is a Domino's. There's certainly some big names in there. And you, you're doing beyond search now. You've expanded from your core business. Yeah, exactly. So what we tend to build for is the search display video, some social. Um, then we add the, the value adds uh, outside of that as well. And a lot of time we're doing that for free because it affects our channels, affects our performance. So we just get it done. Dan Bowman, you're a creative shop and this is probably, you're, you're, you're a lucky man in that this, it's been, it's pretty tough out there for the creative agencies. Um, and we used to see, it used to be the driving force of the whole industry and you'd see startups and Creative Jewels did it in 2007. I think you guys, um, the, the Royals started in what, 2011? 
Um, what, what's the what's the prognosis for for creative specialists like yourselves, and particularly in the independent area versus what's going on in, in at the big end? Well, I think I think it's interesting. I mean, we we asked ourselves the question about six months ago: What are we? Um, and sort of firmly landed in the fact that we. We are a creative agency, but everything we do is digital. So you know, the Royals traditionally started as a digital agency, and that was its that that, that was the core of its DNA, and it still is that. Um, we have to be that. To Jules's point, you've got to be an expert in a hell of a lot more now these days than you probably did 10, 15 years ago. But I think creative still has a huge role in what we do, not only for our clients, but connecting those clients to the end user and the end consumer. We're starting to see that um, that hot debate of short-term versus long-term thinking really come to the fore, and uh, obviously we've all, all, everyone around this table, but also everyone in the industry has a role to play in that. It's not one or the other; it's both. But that is certainly probably the biggest conversation we're having with a lot of our clients: is how do you balance that, um, and how do you take a, a, a creative responsibility for a brand? while at the same time still drive acquisition, still drive a click, still drive an action of some kind because it's it's all marketing and uh, and it's all really, really important in the mix. We'll get to back to Jules in a second where he's talked, he's now full service, he's got media. You're not going that far, are you? No, so we, so we made a conscious decision not to move into media and not to be a full service agency, so you'll never hear us calling ourselves that um, or entering awards like, like that. Um, we are a creative agency, but we will work with either media specialists provided um, by the client or, you know, that have existing relationships. Or if they don't, um, we've got a strategic alliance with Highland Media, another independent okay. media agency that we will pull in um, if there's a gap or if there's a need for it. What is the appetite from brand owners towards an independent creative shop versus a multinational network? Has any has anything changed for you over the course of the last five, six, seven, eight years? I don't think so. I think we've got we've got some really big clients that you would ordinarily think sit within a, a, a big agency framework, but they've chosen a, a medium sized independent to do their work because they're getting the experience that they would get from a big agency network. And I think that's a really important point that that all of us running independent agencies, we haven't been doing it for five minutes. This isn't our first rodeo. We've been around the block, you know, a couple of times and and we've all worked in big multinationals and we realise they're faults. That's probably why we started agencies in the first place because we thought we could do it better. And so we've got clients that that range from, you know, multi-million dollar retainers right down to fintech startups. And the agency's agile enough to be able to work at a multitude of different speeds to pace those clients accordingly depending on where they're at in their, in their life cycle. Jules, the issue around full service and the client appetite, what's the conversations you're having there with them about using the hallway versus someone else? What's the prospects for, for, for your business? So let me answer that in a slightly roundabout way. Why did we start getting into the media buying game? Not because we're particularly interested in buying media. The driver was access to data. Getting that data up front to inform strategy and ideas, but then it's having that real-time visibility of how people are responding to the creative work that's in market, optimising it, and then the third part is linking that back through so we've got the evidence to demonstrate the efficacy of what we're creating. We're here for one reason. We exist to grow our clients' business. That data footprint is critical all the way through that process. Dan talks about sticking with the creative knitting. That didn't sit for you, though. You've, you've gone beyond. What is your view on a, on a creative pure play? I, I think it, it's a, va- a valid place to be. It's, it comes back to our creative philosophy is the reason we got into this. And our view is the more relevant a piece 
of communication is, the more impact it's going to have, the better response rates, the better results. If we can use data to deliver mass personalization at scale, it's going to be more relevant. It's going to deliver better results for our clients. So that through-the-line model you're working through, working on, what, what happens when you talk to, to, to the sector about, about your offering versus the others that are out there? Well, look, look at who we're working with. That was the basis. We got a point about ANZ. That's what we do with Google. They're big businesses. Um, they're big businesses at the forefront of marketing evolution. Super smart people. And I think to draw on a separate point, you were just talking to Dan about this, the notion of what it means to be an indie. I think the, the thing that we bring as independent agencies into the marketplace is probably more an attitude. It's not an ownership thing. It's not the fact that we're independently owned. It's the spirit and attitude of the people running those businesses and the lack of constraints at a group level. So it's our ability to evolve. Because one thing that is only going to increase is the speed of change in this industry. And it's how we can pivot. And our clients are facing that challenge. We're facing that challenge. Our suppliers are facing that challenge. It's how we can evolve in intelligent and effective ways to deliver the best outcomes for our clients' businesses. Henry, why are you getting the traction you're getting? Because you're up against some big players. And also give us your observations from, I guess, from a, a bit from afar now because you're, you're not in communications business like you once were. What's your view on the, uh, the indie agencies versus the holding companies and also why you're getting traction with versus Deloitte's and the big consulting firms? We focus on kind of having engineers and data scientists solve these big problems um, rather, than, rather than MBAs. And, and, I, and I think, you know, um, that gives us a lot more practical experience on how to model and scenario plan for a company and, and what they're investing in for growth uh, versus uh, kind of relying on theoretical frameworks um, that, that, that I think the kind of more traditional players lean into. Now, having said that as well, I think um, our business is called Mutiny. So, you know, you don't pick us if you're looking for someone to agree with you and be a yes man, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I think that's also part of the attraction is our kind of attitude is quite to solving problems is quite fearless. We're not afraid of being a change agent and we are very, very numbers and data driven. I think Jules hits it on the head when he, he talks about the growing data footprint, which doesn't just extend to consumers. I mean, if you go across a, a supply chain now, a supply chain is throwing off so much more data than it ever has before. Um, that data footprint extends uh, throughout an entire business. Being able to take an enterprise view on how to leverage that is something that's very, very powerful. It helps businesses make better, faster and more accurate decisions. Um, I think looking to your second question about the communication agencies, I, I I look at the holding groups and I think a lot of the work coming out of them is um is quite boring, to be honest. Um it's not it's it's certainly not as um they don't have as many personalities in them. They don't have as many people who are, I think, passionate about the work. Um, there's certainly still a lot of really good people in holding groups, obviously. But, um, but, but I think just from afar, it feels like they've, they've lost their step a bit and become too focused on themselves and, and their internal politics and, you know, this merger and that merger, rather than just focusing on the two things that matter, their clients and the work. You'd be happy with that prognosis, Dan, basically the, the big the big companies too caught up in themselves. Do you sense that or not? 
Look, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think that they're probably trying to do the same job that we are. There, as as Henry said, there's lots of smart, passionate people in those businesses, um, but they're 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 probably fighting um, a battle internally as much as they are externally, and that and that's probably process. That's probably hierarchy. The kind of service they will get at an independent agency exceeds that of a multinational because we genuinely give a shit a hell of a lot more because it's our business. We have to. We're intrinsically linked to the success of their business. And and we're we're in meetings, um, and and that's a that's a big part of our conversations, even right up front, is that you know you're not just meeting a pitch team that's then going to go on to the next pitch. You're meeting the team that's going to run your business, and and that is that that is the most senior people in in the agency. And I'll ask you all this uh, for an answer on this, um, Dan. You first is that it, it it does come back to this core proposition we're talking about, though, is with that frustration with those bureaucracies and, and the the sort of the entanglement that a lot of internal stuff goes on with, with the big end. Why are uh, we not seeing more work go the way of the independence if that's what happens with um, in the big end? One advantage that the big end of town has is that they can compete on a global scale where independence probably can't. So if we were to pitch for a big global piece of business, that would be bloody hard to convince a global client based in New York or London or somewhere else around the world that we could competently manage their business globally. Morris, your thoughts on that? On that, why? I mean, I know you guys are Sparrow's doing fairly well. I think you're what number two in search behind uh, Dentsu and Columbus. I think it's about about right. Yeah, and Google Spend we are. And Google Spend. The point here, though, is: Do you see what Dan's saying? Yeah, I think the global contracts is a very good point. I've heard that uh, some digital groups within the media agencies have as much as 80% internally referred work. So I think that uh, a lot of this stuff's packaged up. Uh, there isn't a, a breakout digital brief, but I see that coming. I think people want that expertise and specialization. Jules, your, your views on, on this, this notion about if the frustration's there with the, with the big internal companies, uh, the agencies, why are we not seeing an indie sector take off for all the reasons you talked before about um, about culture and so forth? Well, I think I'm going to challenge that notion. Um, I don't think the indie sector is struggling. And you look at the number of agencies that are competing for Independent Agency of the Year awards, look at the names that are in there, the brands those businesses are working with. I think what's probably changed is the definition or the scope of the remit of what we see as an independent agency. Look at the people we've got around this table. Four very different businesses from Henry with his predictive growth consultancy through Morris, Dan and myself. If, you, if we open up the parameters of what independent agency is, I reckon it's a pretty healthy market. And I reckon there's some, well, there are. We're all demonstrating there's big businesses choosing that option over multinational networks. Dan, I know you don't like the um, headcount scenario where you, because the, the nature of your work is changing from retainer to project and you're sort of much more fluid. But there is that notion of growth. How do you define it in your business now then? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting one because whenever I talk to anybody in the industry and, and even wider about how, how our business is going, they always the first question is how many people are you? And, that's, and that seems to be the benchmark for how successful you are. Where I think nowadays, and this comes back to how independents can get access to big multinational top end of town tier one brands is through this um, preference now for project by project work and, and, and less of a reliance on big chunky retainers. And that gives the independents an in and an opportunity to really start to chip away at some of those um, bigger bits of business that might be sitting with multinationals. But also it means that our business has to be reasonably lean 
in order to be able to scale up when need be, but then also contract when that project ends and, it, and, and that business goes on hold or disappears. Once, once that project is over and you don't have a continuous stream of volume of work, um, resource has to be um, has to be moved on, and, and usually that's freelance or contract based resource. Dan, can I can I ask? Doesn't that make it more difficult, not less? Because you know I see the the issues of you know project based work. One, it creates an inconsistent cash flow on agency side, which you know as we as everyone around this room would know that can be a nightmare to deal with. And then you compound that with what I view as relatively unscrupulous procurement payment terms, which we all know exist as well. I mean, that must be, I always see that as an incredible challenge um, rather than rather than an opportunity at times, particularly in the way procurement sometimes deals with these issues. I agree. I think it is a double-edged sword. I, I, I can't help but be the optimist because it is, an, it is the nature of our industry. So you either adapt or die, right? So you've got to make the best of a bad situation. <laughs> And and so I'm 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 looking at it glass half full, not empty. And I think that what it does mean, back to, to Paul's point about headcount, is that you've got to be lean. I mean, it, it there would only be we're an agency of about 75, 80 people. There'd only be maybe three who aren't client facing. We have no receptionists, we have no EAs. Um we run a lean agency and that and that's really important. Um for, for us to be able to move quickly and uh, to adjust, uh, particularly to a new kind of client way of working. Um, and also, as I mentioned, to be able to work at a startup level all the way through to, you know, big, big business. So when a big project comes in, there aren't, there isn't resource sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting for work to do. Um, we have to then go and either hire full-time staff if it's a, if it's a long-term client um, that wants to put us on a contract with a retainer, or if it's a project, we've got to go and find freelancers and contractors to help us to do that job. Which is interesting, Jules. How do you then, with with what Dan's talking about, how do you find the investment to invest in in the diversification that you've been doing? Because this is this is sometimes can be a barrier to growth is the fact that it's lean, it's project work. You can't really build and invest in talent. So how are you getting around that one? I think it's reality, Paul. The reality we've got to cope with and adapt to is. The breadth of services agencies need to offer is only going to increase. But you need to have adequate depth across that breadth. And I think that is that is probably one of the biggest barriers to entry for new startups is getting to that critical scale quick enough. Once you've got to a level of scale, it gets a lot easier. But it's getting there where you've got latency and you've got underutilized or unused resources that it becomes a financial drag on the business. So the, one of the other forces that are at play at the moment is the demand for brands to want to reduce complexity in their supply base. In fact, last week, IAG was talking about this exact thing with, with Zara Curtis. On the content side, 50, 50 small suppliers delivering different bits of content and things got it got messy and got ugly and it was hard to manage. So they've consolidated down into a Kalimager Group initiative and it's made things easier for them. So in this drive for efficiency and to reduce complexity and find some simplification, does a specialist and lots of small different oper- independent operators go against what the where the tide's going? Morris, your thoughts? Look, I think that the breadth of, of services that you need in media is, is still so wide, as, as Jules sort of touched on, that there's no way you can bring someone on and do a, an incredible job from, from concept to creative to digital uh, implementation. And so... We see the opportunity that, yes, that's happening, but the digital specialization is still being broken out. Uh, and we are 
also going to clients with media agencies. Uh, we have two relationships with government clients. We work with a media agency. And it's, look, it's fairly successful. You obviously have the, the clash of cultures and metrics and, and understanding of things. But um, I think that is also an opportunity and a bit of the future. Jules, totally. If you look back, and this is one of the big trends over the past 10 years, shortly after I started the business, we went into this era of the specialist agency. Clients suddenly had nine agency partners specialized in all the different areas. There were two things they generally learned from that. One, the customer experience got fragmented. Every agency's got a strategist and an ideas person. And two, it became very time-consuming and expensive to manage all those resources. There is a general theme of consolidation in the market, is my observation. I really like it because I think it, if you're on the right side of that consolidation, it's really good. If you're on the wrong side of it, you're out the back door. But I think what um, I think the risk is that, like anything, it's cyclical, right? So, And I don't know whether it's five years or ten years, but all of a sudden it's the village methodology and you get specialists with one holding group that all come together around a client or a client has got 15 different relationships with different agencies or then they decide, no, no, I only need one. And that's it seems to roll, doesn't it? And I think we're talking structurally in this conversation. We're talking what's the right structure. I think we've got to reframe this. It's what's the right attitude we need to thrive in the next era. And if I was running WPP or Omnicom or one of those groups, all we're reading in the media is about the structure they're pursuing to be ready for today, hopefully ready for tomorrow. It's about an attitude shift. Henry Innes? I t- tend to agree with Jules. I mean, it's really how do you how do you embrace change? I think Dan's comment about all of this is quite cyclical. I mean, I remember reading a history of advertising and in the 60s, you know, you had specialists in print versus radio versus TV. There are a lot of historical parallels um, as new media has come online um, and, and the specialisation issue versus the breadth issue um, then and today. And so I kind of think at the moment we're in a, we're in a trend of, of consolidation. I think, you know, the, the, it's probably a little bit, bit of a contrarian view, but the media market is relatively stable at the moment. The ad inventory is all kind of quite fixed and everyone's trying to consolidate to find what's viable business models in the space. And in 10 years, we'll have another period of, um, of fragmentation. And those who survive will just have an attitude of we can adapt and we can embrace new problems and embrace new ways of thinking. And that's what will get them there, not one particular structure that was decided 10 years ago. So, so to wrap up um, from each of you then, um, starting with you, Dan, what's the cycle looking like for you in the next two years as a creative agency, as a creative shop? What are the prospects next two years? I think it's really positive and, and I think we need to believe that it has to be um, in order to do well. And I, I reckon what we're really focused on is balancing you know, short-term tactics with long-term strategies in order to help businesses grow and unlock what we call an unnatural level of growth. Um, and it's going to combine you know, the, some specialist thinking within our business that is focused more perhaps on a specific channel through to broader strategies that, that, that can plan for, you know, a run from three to five years. And I think that's, that's, that's where we're um, focused on and uh, really want to try to get in there and help clients to, to realise, you know, short-term acquisition with, with long-term brand building. Morris, the cycle for you in media and digital marketing? Yeah, look, we're really excited. We think that there's a, a really bright future for us out there. Uh, so we're continuing to grow. We're having, uh, you know, phone hasn't stopped ringing um, despite consolidation. So we're pretty excited. Jules, um, for you, that cycle for the next two years, what does it look like? This is the era of opportunity for independence. 
our biggest competitors, the multinationals, are the most distracted they've ever been. Their eyes off the prize. The culture in there is not good. The culture in our businesses is rocking. It's exciting times. It's a beacon, traction beacon for talent, and clients are seeing the same. And it's the opportunity is now for independence. Well, great points. Henry Innes, your final thoughts? We're really excited. We think over the next three years, we're going to build a very exciting business that sits at the intersection of consulting and also having our own technology products. We can build a very new and distinct model that um, perhaps operates very differently and starts to chart a new territory in this, um, in what we call predictive growth. Well, you're all right, Jensen, that, um, uh, you know, this big structural, the big companies are obsessed and, and distracted by themselves. It's a great point. Look, hard as I've tried to bring some sobriety, you're all very upbeat about the independent sector, which is exactly, you know, it's a great thing. So look forward to um, just seeing what happens in the next 12 months. Good luck to all of you. And we will, by the way, loop back around and find out what's going on in the next 12 months. Thanks, Jens, for, the, for your time. So, John Bradshaw, a lot of optimism from the indies we spoke to today. Justified, do you think? Give us some of your, your pearlers. Um, certainly lovely to see a kind of healthy, vibrant, independent sector out there. And I suspect the people around this table um, every right to be optimistic. When we get into the longer tail of smaller independent agencies struggling for their third and fourth tier clients, I suspect it's not quite as... Um, happy and optimistic as Dan and Jules in particular make that sound. But um, I, I think they have the thing that independent agencies do have to offer over some of the larger groups, which is access to founder talent. And until they become so big that that's no longer possible, it's clear that these people are still working on their clients' business and bringing their experience to bear. They should be optimistic about that because clients are in need of kind of experience and intelligence and specialism from their agency. And these people can offer that in space. Well, well on, that, on that very point of specialism, though, what's your thinking uh, there and what and the conversations you're having with them? Yeah, it's interesting because reflecting on no matter what the kind of pitch around the table, everybody's offering some form of specialism. Like even Jules's kind of broader stuff is uh, mass personalization, personalization at scale. That's a specialism. That's not everything that every client wants that's not truly full service i i don't think there is an answer to those questions i think it's a question of the client thinking strategically and long and hard about what the right bundles of skill they want from a specialist agency roster and then finding people who can kind of match that we continue to hear the frustration with uh, marketers around their agency partners and this broader service offering. As we've talked about, it doesn't drive a booming independent sector. What, what is the behavioural disconnect there between frustration and trying an alternative? I'm not sure clients feel the frustration with the holding group, if that makes sense. There's definitely client frustration with agency land out there. If they're frustrated with the agency, they're frustrated with the specific business unit that they're dealing with. In many cases, it's because the agency is still trying to sell creativity as the thing that they offer rather than business growth. Do you think that goes for a media agency as well, though, and a digital? I mean, they're all trying to, they're all on their swim lanes, right? Well, what we've seen with media agencies is, is they're selling efficiency. I can get this for you cheaper. I can build this for you at lower cost. Like, we can do this at a smaller margin. And again, whilst that's good for a client what they really want is effectiveness effectiveness with an efficiency layer over the top of it i don't want effectiveness at any cost it ceases to be effective at that point 
Um, but the balance in kind of media land between cheap and good, we've talked about many times that kind of split. So these frustrations exist, but I'm not sure they're frustrations with the holding group. They're just frustrations with any and every agency that's not getting those things right. What I do agree with, however, is certainly some of them are massively distracted at the moment. And that should provide an opportunity in kind of the world for people who are a little bit more focused on client-centric client needs and delivering against those, which I heard a lot of talk about that around the table today. Um, that's opportunity for anybody, whether that's a holding company who's got its shit together or, you know, an independent who's out there being hungry. Well, it's interesting. There, there, there is optimism, um, but they're fighting harder for it is, is sort of the uh, – would be the sense of what's going on. And there's nothing new in that. I guess we've seen it for a while. Absolutely the nature of the industry at the moment, Paul. Yeah. John Bradshaw, thank you. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button to get a free notification every time we release a new episode. Listener.